Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles, and in today's podcast, I will be talking with Lili Vasquez, an associate attorney with Simakovsky Law. Liliana Vasquez is a native of El Paso and a first-generation Mexican-American. She graduated from the University of Texas, El Paso, in 2011, and from the Ohio State University, Moritz College of Law, in 2015. While at Moritz, she was the vice president of the Latino Law Student Association and business editor of the Ohio State Journal on Dispute Resolution. Growing up in the border city of El Paso, the shortcomings of the immigration system became readily apparent to her, sparking an interest in immigration law. This led her to a position clerking at Las Americas Immigrant Advocacy Center and the Paso del Norte Civil Rights Projects. Currently, Ms. Vasquez is an associate attorney with Simakovsky Law, where she is able to make legal services accessible to the Hispanic community and in their native language. Lily, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Elena. Thank you for having me on your show. Tell me about your background. Was it hard to move to Ohio? Um, I would say the decision to move to Ohio wasn't hard. Um, Since I was born in El Paso, I grew up in El Paso. I went to university in El Paso. Mm -hmm. um, I always wanted to get out of El Paso to see what else was out there. So I always had that within me. So I knew at some point I was going to leave El Paso. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I was going to leave Texas, but I definitely knew I wanted to leave El Paso. Um, so when I wasn't able to leave for college, it was sad. It was disheartening. But... When I was able to move away for law school, um, I knew it was the right decision to make. So the decision itself to move wasn't hard. I would say adjusting to life here in Ohio was um, a little harder. It was definitely harder um, in the sense that the culture shock was mm -hmm. the first thing that I had to get used to. Um, in El Paso, the population is 80% Hispanic. So we hear we're a minority, mm -hmm. Latinos are growing, but you don't really feel like a minority because mm -hmm. you are the majority mm -hmm. in the city. Mm -hmm. And when I moved here to Columbus, I got to um, understand or experience firsthand that, yes, we Latinos are still a minority. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you don't hear Spanish <laughs> yeah. just everywhere like you do in Texas. I, you know, I grew up um, on a border town too, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, can you describe your decision to study law? Was it clear that you wanted to do immigration law right away? So um, it wasn't immigration law wasn't clear, um, and neither was the decision to become a lawyer. Um, It was brought about with a conversation that I had with my brother. Um, my brother was my father figure mm -hmm. growing up, um, and he's like 13 years older than me, mm -hmm. I want to say. So he really was a father figure for most of my life. And I remember one time we were just having like a casual conversation. It wasn't even like, a, okay, Liliana, what are you going to do with your life? It was just like a casual conversation. And he was like, hey, like, what do you want to do with your life? And I mentioned to him I wanted to be an accountant. 
And he kind of just like sat me down and was like, look, you're really good at school because I, out of my siblings, I have um, an older brother, older sister and a younger sister. I was the one that was the most applied at school. Mm -hmm. I got really good grades. I honor student, like all that good stuff. And he was just like, look, you, you have the potential to do something really great. Um, why don't you think about being an attorney? Like, it's a great career. I think that's a career that is worth the debt, worth the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of put in my head the idea of becoming a lawyer because up to that point, I don't know, I just had never really considered it. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that kind of like embedded that idea in my head. And then the more I looked into it, I was like, I think this is perfect for me because being an, being an attorney is a lot of researching and writing and constantly learning. So... The more I grew up and the more I learned about the profession, I realized, yeah, this is the profession for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what um, made you decide to go specifically in, um, into immigration law? And so I guess it was like meant to be because my first internship was at Las Americas mm -hmm. Advocacy Center. And it's a nonprofit that specializes in providing immigration services to low income individuals. And up until that point, um, because it's a border town, we mm -hmm. had always crossed back and forth mm -hmm. from El Paso to the United States. And I really never, um, I thought it was just like a choice that people made, that some people choose to live in the United States mm -hmm. and some people choose to live in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But once I started interning at Las Americas, I realized that there were so many people, business owners, students, members of our community that you wouldn't realize were struggling with their legal status because since it was largely Hispanic, they could just blend into the rest of the population. Yeah. They knew the language, which was Spanish. So it was like a, a little secret that mm -hmm. they carried with them. Mm -hmm. And it was like in only certain places that they would talk about it and mm -hmm. they would feel good talking about it and they wanted to fix it, but sometimes like the means weren't there. Mm -hmm. And so like realizing how much, how many of our friends, community members were struggling with this kind mm -hmm. of made me want to help people that were in the situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What challenges and or gaps do you see in the immigration system right now? Well, it's a very heated topic and um, I condensed it to two main things that I wish would get addressed. Um, the first one is this misconception that there are limited amount of resources. And so because some people believe that there's a limited amount of resources like jobs, like houses, um, more than anything jobs, mm -hmm. they tend to hold on to this idea that immigrants are taking away our jobs and they hold on to that because it's an easy way to uh, support their position mm -hmm. that is against immigration. There really isn't a set. There isn't like a hundred jobs and everybody's vying for these 100 jobs. Mm -hmm. In reality, immigrants tend to have a very entrepreneurial spirit. They tend to come to the United States to create businesses. And so what they're actually doing is providing more jobs mm -hmm. as opposed to taking people's jobs. Um, there, like I said, there isn't a set number of jobs and only a certain amount of people are looking for them. In reality, anybody that wants to work will find a job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so that's one of them. Like, I really don't believe that we in the United States have a limited amount of resources in terms of, like, jobs, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The second one is that I hear people saying, well, why don't they come legally? Why Mm -hmm. don't they come the right way? Um, I think because in the United States, we have very comfortable lives where security um, and crime isn't as big as an issue as it is in countries like Venezuela, the Central American countries, the Mm -hmm. African countries. We are not engineered to even fathom Mm -hmm. what some of these people have to go through. So for some people, the option of coming the legal way, whatever it is, or the right way, isn't an option. Um, It's either try and cross three different borders to work for maybe an opportunity to work in the United States or stay in your country and die. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if we were to really kind of listen to the stories, I think we would get a little bit more of an understanding of how desperate these people have to feel to be willing to leave their homes, to be willing to leave leave half of their family mm-hmm. or maybe bring with them some very small children and cross several different borders just for like a meager opportunity mm-hmm. to maybe have a chance of it a life. Mm-hmm. And because we can't fathom that, um, we hold on to these ideas that why don't they Myths. come to the wrong mm-hmm. way? And even those people that manage to get to the border and establish what they're fleeing, um, we still subject them to like very severe interrogations and we put them in jail. Mm. And it's just a little unnecessary, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Lately, we've been hearing a lot about chain migration. Can you explain what this is? Yeah. So chain migration is the concept um, that explains how people can immigrate to the United States. Um, So, for example, people that are green card holders can bring um, their spouses and their minor children to to live in the United States. People that are citizens can bring children, parents, spouses, and brothers and sisters to live in the United States. And so it's um, visually, I guess, a chain. So I come to the United States and then I can bring my spouse or I come and then I can bring my mom and then my mom brings her children. You know, so it's a lot of people can come to the United States with just one person. But how long does that process take? (laughs) Realistically, it takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. For example, a legal, let's say I'm a legal permanent resident. If I want to apply for my spouse, it's going to take three years, Mm -hmm. two year, two to three years for him to physically be here. Um, Same thing for my children. If I'm a U.S. citizen and I want to bring my spouse, it takes about a year. Same thing with my parents or children. If I'm a U.S. citizen and I want to bring my brother or sister, it's going to take 20 years Mm -hmm. for them to actually get Mm -hmm. here. So it's not something instantaneous. It definitely takes some time, but it is available to some people Mm -hmm. if they're patient. And what are some of the requirements for that? What, what, What do you have to prove in order to you know, um, ask for this family member to join you in the U.S.? Of course. So um, as a, for example, I'm a U.S. citizen and I want to bring my spouse who is living abroad, I have to prove 
that I can support them. That would be one of the main things that I make enough income um, that this, my spouse is not going to come and use public assistance. No mm-hmm. Medicaid, Medicare, uh, food stamps, housing, none of that. Um, so they ask me to have a certain level of income, and that varies depending on how many dependents I have. So if I have like three children already, then the income level that I need for them to come to the United States is um, stricter. And mm-hmm. that kind of goes along because of this the requirements that we have to for somebody to immigrate to the United States it dispels one of the another one of the myths mm-hmm. that immigrants drain our public assistance mm-hmm. by law a person that has immigrated to the United States cannot use any public assistance for the first 5 years mm. um and that's the whole point of having a petitioner Mm-hmm. which is the U.S. citizen or the legal permanent resident that is bringing the person to come to the United States, to have support. that certain level mm-hmm. of income to ensure that that person is going to come to the United States and use public assistance. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of misunderstanding in yes. this way, right? Um, the commercial that you see seems like um, there's an invasion of people <laughs> that are coming when it, in reality there's a lot of steps and there is a lot of time that's going to yes. take for you to even bring one person um, one family member to, to the U.S. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some um, other misconceptions about the path to citizenship? Uh, can somebody just come and, and apply and then is given the citizenship? <laughs> no. So unless you're born in the United States, you do not have citizenship. And so to specifically answer your question, I think one of the mo- the biggest misconceptions is in the name itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, there is no direct path to citizenship aside from birth. Mm-hmm. Um, in order for somebody to become a citizen, they have to be a legal permanent resident. Mm-hmm. They have to be legally admitted to be, to live in the United States. And so there are only a set number of ways that somebody can become a legal permanent resident. Mm -hmm. So I think um, a more appropriate name is a path to legal permanent residency because then that does give you a direct path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. Okay. But there are different things that can be done and they are limited in terms of what, how can somebody, how someone can become a legal permanent resident. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, what has been one of the most rewarding things about being an immigration attorney so far? Um, I'm just coming off this success um, that came to me yesterday. Um, I had a woman who had been here since 2001, mm. um, and she had this very special application that qualified her to get her green card, and she had previously consulted with another attorney, and the attorney said it couldn't be done, but when she came into my office last year, I knew we could do it. And so just yesterday, uh, first she emailed me and she was like, I have a letter and did you get it? And I hadn't received the letter. And for some reason, the mail came really late yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so I was anticipating what kind of letter it was going to be like. Was it a good letter? Was it a bad letter? So I was waiting for the mail. And then finally, when I got the the mail, it turned out it was her approval notice. Mm. And then I called her and she was like, I got my green card. And she was just so happy. And I think just hearing how happy 
she was like I get to share a little bit of that joy because yeah. I've never had the same fears she has I've never had to do the same things that she had to do to get here but I do get to relish a little bit in the joy and we don't always get those success stories like we can go one hour where I have to share some very bad news and then the next hour I have somebody getting their green card so mm -hmm. it's always a roller coaster for us and so we always try to savor the happy moments and so I'm still very happy for her because since she got her green card her daughters um we're gonna push for her daughters to get her green card too so it's just one person through one person her two children are mm -hmm. also going to be able to have legal status in the United mm -hmm. States and so it's just I'm so very happy about that case when this happens what is the first thing people that are awarded um like a a green card or a permanent residency status, um, what are the first thing they want to do? Go to Mexico. <laughs> so that was one of the things that she was telling me. She's planning a trip to Mexico because it's been 17 years mm -hmm. since she has not seen her mother, since she has not seen her homeland. Um, her daughters uh, came here when I think one of them was like two and the other one was three. And so she's going to be able to go to Mexico her daughter's still not yet, but mm -hmm. we're going to work on it. She was the first one mm -hmm. to, it's kind of part of that chain migration mm -hmm. thing. So we mm -hmm. just have to wait for the requisite time. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. I know that since you've uh, joined the Simakovsky firm, you have been instrumental in working with the Spanish-speaking community. Can you tell me about your job there? Yeah, of course. Um, so I meet with all of our clients. We have... Um, I don't meet specifically with Spanish-speaking clients, but that tends to be the larger population that I deal with because of um, because I'm bilingual. And when I made the decision to stay in Ohio, um, it was partially because I had seen how I had seen clients try and walk into our office, and they felt nervous. They felt like out of place like they didn't belong mm. and then they knew they were going to struggle with the language and so just immediately to see at that point I was just a legal assistant so to see a legal assistant that they could communicate mm. with it was such a relief mm. and then I was like I think I want to stay here I realized at that point I'm going to stay here because I see what I'm doing for my community mm. and then once I became to an attorney many times I was thanked for simply being able to listen to somebody um, tell me their story in their native language. And it just gives you goosebumps mm -hmm. because it seems something unnecessary to thank somebody for. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't think I should be thanked for being able to listen and mm -hmm. grasp all the details of someone's story in their native language. Mm -hmm. And yet I am. And so it's it's mixed emotions in terms of, oh, my gosh, like, this shouldn't be happening. But at the same time, you feel you feel happy that you can provide this for them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you see in the people that come to see you? Um, I'm beginning to realize that, like, the theme of this um, – this interview is mixed emotions. So <laughs> in them, I see 
a lot of desire and at the same time a lot of disappointment. Mm. So they have this desire to kind of be recognized by this country as somebody that has legal status because for some reason when you're undocumented, when you're illegal, for some reason you're not considered part of the country and it's a little stigma that they carry with them. Um, They're seen as separate Mm -hmm. um, than everybody else. And so many of them have been here for many years. They have children here. They pay their taxes. They, like I said, they own businesses. That's not an uncommon thing that many people that own businesses, even here in Columbus, may be undocumented. Mm. Um, So they have this desire to just be recognized as they just need that validity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They just need that validity that they're legal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, I don't like the term illegal and legal mm-hmm. to refer to somebody, but they just want to be recognized as legal mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so they come to me, they ask me, what are my options? And like I said, there's very limited options to get your legal permanent residency. And a lot of times my responses are, let's wait. Mm-hmm. Let's wait for an immigration reform. Let's wait until your children, your child turns 21. Let's wait until this gets approved. Um, Other times, it's putting you in this process might not be the best thing for you. Like we can do this, but it might not be beneficial. You're gonna, it's you're gonna be putting yourself into proceedings. It's gonna cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to do this? Mm -hmm. And other times, it's just there's really nothing that can be done that is truly gonna help you. And so. They come in with that desire, that hope to maybe something is now available. And then when I have to tell them there really isn't, they're just disappointed. And a lot of them, they just say, oh, well, I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. Mm. Because their response is not, well, this country doesn't recognize me. I'm just going to go home. They can't go home. They have nothing Mm -hmm. to go home to. Mm -hmm. And so their only option is to wait. And that is very disappointing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can you tell me a little bit about um, DACA, uh, what that is, and where 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 is now March six, six right? And the deadline was yesterday. Uh, what can you tell us about DACA and okay. the Dreamers? Yeah, so DACA, just a little background information. DACA was um, it gave. Work, perm- work authorization, legal status, and not legal status, legal protection um, for kids that had been brought to the United States at a really young age. Um, and so through the DACA program, many people were able to finish school. They weren't able to get financial aid because financial aid is only for mostly U.S. citizens or legal permanent residents, but they, through hard work, they were able able to pay for college, for their careers, out-of-pocket working, mm-hmm. um, maybe some personal loans. Um, a lot of them became nurses. Um, teachers. Teachers, teachers exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have paralegals. We have pretty much, I think in every field, we have somebody that has DACA. And so the decision that Donald Trump gave in October was that if by March 5th, Congress didn't enact DACA into law, 
then he was going to start phasing out the program um, come March 5th. Well, it's been five months, and in that time we have two courts that have told us Donald Trump rescinding the DACA program is unconstitutional. Uh, The first court was in California. The second court was in New York. We still don't have DACA as law, um, which is the bad news. But I am glad to see that we have courts opposing what Donald Trump is doing. And hopefully we get a little bit more courts to jump on board and say that DACA continues to live um, because I'm pretty sure immigration, USCIS will give a decision as to what's going to happen now. I know at some point this week or maybe next week, we're going to get a decision that maybe the DACA applications are not going to be accepted, but I hope by then we get a couple more courts to jump on board and mm-hmm. continue to renew the applications. So as it stands, the people that renewed um, their DACA back in September, I believe. September was the deadline, I believe. Or, yeah, so initially um, it was mm-hmm. in September, and then once the California court made their ruling, mm-hmm. um, people that didn't meet that deadline were able to set, submit their renewal application. Mm-hmm. So to this day, we were able to submit the renewal applications for DACA recipients whose work permit expired within six months. So that means they uh, technically have two more years unless something changes and there is um, another choice for them. And I was able to meet with some students whose DACA expired in October. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't renew it at this point because it's seven months out, Mm -hmm. not six. Mm -hmm. And if we submitted it, it was going to get bounced back. Mm -hmm. So for the there's people whose work permit expires from October all the way until 2019-2020. Mm. Um, without any new decision, mm. then the people whose work permits expire this year are, are going to lose their protection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it was a very abrupt decision to take away that protection because now what's going to happen with the social security numbers that people received? Mm -hmm. How can they have a job one day and then not have a job the next day? Mm -hmm. It's just, it was a very abrupt decision that didn't take into consideration the consequences that it would have. These people bought homes, these people bought cars. What happens to the loans that they have? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What happens? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's, so I guess for now it's just wait, waiting, waiting wait. for for a, another decision, another uh, push for a um, a path to legal permanent residency. Legal permanent residency, yeah. yeah. What else would you like our audience to know about you and the work you do here in our in our community? There is so much that a lot of people can do to help out the immigrant community, and it might even be as simple as making somebody feel welcome. Um, Every immigrant that is in the United States has a very unique story, and I really encourage everyone to just kind of take the time and listen to the stories so that we have more of a perspective on what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, that is making people make very drastic decisions 
um, before we jump to those conclusions and start believing some of these misconceptions. Mm-hmm. More than anything, before we believe anything, do a little bit of research um, as to what we're choosing to believe. For example, immigrants are taking all our jobs. That's not really true. Time and time, research has been done that that's not a that's not a fact. Um, immigrants are draining our resources. Again, that mm-hmm. is not true. Immigrants are abusing the public system, the public assistance systems. Again, that's not true. And there are thousands of resources out there that will back that up. So just taking the time to listen to our neighbor, making them feel welcome, and then doing our due diligence with the information that we choose to believe and spread. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for the work you do, Lily. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you in the studio. Thank you, Elena. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Mm-hmm.